Hello, Malcolm here, and welcome to a bonus class in the series, Five Ways the Holy Spirit Unites Disciples of Christ. And those five classes were inspired by an article in the Telios or Telios magazine. I won't go over the uh, provenance of that just now, but just to say that after these five classes on the way in which the Holy Spirit unites us, I received some comments and questions and suggestions back about a desire to hear a bit more about the significance of prayer for groups of followers of Jesus. And so that's what we're going to look at today. And the way I'm going to do this is I'm going to present to you uh, in a fairly straightforward fashion some examples from the book of Acts as to things that the church prayed about. What did they pray about? Perhaps why did they pray about it? What was the significance of that? And that's what we're going to look at here today. Now, in talking about these passages in the book of Acts, and there are 33 verses in the book of Acts which describe, talk about uh, prayer, there is one danger. So let me flag this at the beginning. The danger of looking at something like this in the book of Acts is that we can look at what they did and miss why they did it, miss the heart of it, miss the fact that it's about Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit, rather than just about the church and them in the act of praying. So the act of praying is an illustration of their faith, but their faith is what makes it all meaningful. So as I go through these very practical examples, please don't miss the fact that it's really about God and not about their, if you like, their actions. So bear that in mind as we have a bit of a survey here of prayer in the book of Acts and to see uh, what we might learn from that for our own local groups, your family group, your location, whatever the grouping is of your local um, group of disciples, hopefully you'll find something useful today. So after going through the examples in the book of Acts, I've put everything into six categories of prayer. You can probably find others, but these will do for today. So the first category of prayer we see in the book of Acts with the church there is the church praying for wisdom and guidance regarding decisions and commissioning. Wisdom and guidance regarding decisions and commissioning. So in Acts chapter 1, uh, for example, we see the uh, the early church in some ways even before it's a church because it's before the Spirit has come at Pentecost. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 14, the followers of Jesus that were left behind after he'd gone uh, joined together constantly in prayer and they're praying there. And why are they praying? Well, part of the reason they're praying is verse 24. They prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen because they need to replace Judas and indeed it ends up being Matthias. They're praying for wisdom. They're praying for guidance about a decision. And then Acts chapter 6, that first uh, significant controversy, a challenge to the early church, uh, they have a problem with the distribution of food. And what did the apostles say? They say in Acts 6 verse 6, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. They prayed and laid their hands, perhaps a prayer of confirming that this was God's will, and then laying their hands on them to commission them for the work to bless the church that they've been called to. So that's partly decision prayer, I think, but also primarily perhaps a commissioning prayer. Let's commission you with the body here, with everybody together. Let's pray over you. Let's pray with you and commission you for the work that God has called you to do. And we see a, a similar thing in Acts chapter 13. In Acts chapter 13, in the church there in Antioch, they are, what does it say? They are worshipping and fasting. They are, and the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So, did they get on with it straight away? No, after they had fasted and prayed. So they did some more praying. They placed their hands on them, sent them off, commissioning them 
for the work God had called them to. And in Acts chapter 14, we see something a little similar in verse 23 in chapter 14, where it says, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in which in whom they had put their trust. So that, again, a commissioning going on here. So one of the things we should be thinking about in our local groups is what can we pray about collectively where we need wisdom for our group, we need guidance for our group, we have a decision to make, or we have a commissioning opportunity. First thing we see in the book of Acts. Second thing we see is that they prayed together for help and strength when there was a crisis or they were in trouble. Help and strength in crisis and times of trouble. I won't read all of these verses for the sake of time, but in Acts chapter 4, you'll be familiar with the idea that great persecution came across the, upon the church, or the threat of it anyway. And what did they do when that threat came? They prayed. They raised their voices together in prayer to God, and they asked him for help. And at the end of that in Acts 4.31, after they had prayed, what happens? The place then where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They asked for strength. They asked for help. God gave them courage and boldness because of their prayer together. In Acts chapter 12, a sort of similar incident, the Apostle Peter is in prison. What is the church's response to this? The response is that they, it says the church was earnestly praying for him. Earnestly praying for him. And in verse 12, Peter is released. And when this dawns on him that God has actually taken him out of, rescued him from jail, he goes to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. So we see this group prayer going on in times of crisis and trouble. And even Paul in Acts 27, when he's on the ship that's being shipwrecked in verse 29, it says that they prayed for daylight. They prayed for daylight. So Paul's got a prayer meeting going on on the ship right there. So when there's crisis and trouble, their instinct is to pray in your local group, your family group, your location, whatever group you're part of. Are you in trouble? Uh, do you have a crisis? Do you have difficulty going on right now? How about praying for help and strength during that time? The third category for today in the book of Acts. We see the early church collectively praying for healing and salvation. Some of this is individual as well as group, I, I should say, but I think it illustrates an important point. There's praying going on for healing and or salvation for other people. So the church doesn't just pray for their situation, they pray for other people. In Acts 8 verse 15, when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers, uh, the, the apostles, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. They're praying for a blessing on them, something they need. In Acts chapter 9 verse 40, Peter sends everybody out of the room, gets down on his knees and prays, and he says to Tabitha, get up. She opens her eyes, gets up. Peter is brought in to pray, to look for healing for Tabitha. And indeed, Acts 28 verse 8, Paul goes in to see the, uh, the father who's suffering uh, from fever and dysentery and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. Now those are individual examples of uh, Peter and the apostles and Paul. But nonetheless, I think it shows that part of the purpose of prayer is to reach out to help other people. Do you have some needs for other people you know about that may be part of your group or maybe not part of your group, but you could be praying about those specific things? How about a prayer list for that? Fourth area. Praying as a habit. I like this. Praying as a habit and a priority. We see that in the early church. So the classic example, of course, is Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And what are they doing when they have been baptized and received the Holy Spirit? 
they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devote themselves to it. In other words, prayer is one of their top, top priorities. And this is a context of them praying together. Praying together is one of their top priorities. It is perhaps up there with these other three things, perhaps their top four things. And one of those top four things was prayer. It's a priority and it's a habit. Of course, we looked back at Acts 6, uh, at Acts 6 a bit earlier. And in that situation, when they're trying to meet some needs in the church, the apostles say that they need to give their attention to, to what? Prayer and the ministry of the word. In other words, prayer is a highly significant thing for those apostles to be praying together. Uh, it's a priority and it is, uh, it's a habit, it seems. It's part of who they are. In Acts chapter 10, uh, Peter, uh, and the day that he meets the delegation from Cornelius, it says in Acts 10, 10 verse 9, as this delegation were approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. And we don't know that there wasn't any specific calling for him to pray there. It's just that, I guess, as it was his habit. It's noon. I'll, I'll pop up on the roof to pray for a while. That's the equivalent of having, popping out in your lunch break for a time of prayer, maybe. It's a habit for these people. In Acts 16, verse 16, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave. Going to the place of prayer to do what? Maybe more than one thing, but I would, I would assume to pray as well. Going there like it was a normal thing to do. In Acts 16, verse 25, also in Philippi, Paul and Silas are in the jail at midnight. And what are they doing? They are praying and singing hymns to God. And it doesn't say there that they're necessarily praying for release or anything else, but they're just praying and singing hymns because it's just what they do. One of the beautiful things about the early church is that prayer was a habit. It wasn't a duty. Right, on to our fifth area of prayer that we see the church involved in in the book of Acts. Fifthly, praying as a sign of community and love. Praying together as a sign of community and a sign of love. In Acts 20 verse 36, when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. Praying there with those people, just as he's about to depart, it was a, a way of sealing their love and relationship, uh, their love for one another. It was meaningful for them to end their time together in prayer. And in Acts 21 verse 5, when it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city. And there on the beach, we knelt to pray. A sign of community and a sign of love. In your own group, uh, could you? how can you use times of prayer to solidify and, co and bring greater cohesion to your group as you pray together to create deeper community and a deeper experience of Christian love together? And then sixthly and finally, here's a thought. It may not have occurred to you. So we're looking here at the early church praying in the book of Acts in particular. But there's also another aspect of this, which is there are people praying that aren't part of the church in the book of Acts. And they're praying in a sense, they're praying to meet people in the church. And I believe there's a parallel here. Today, there are people praying who are hoping to meet people like you and me. They just don't know it's you and me. So in Acts chapter 9, um, the Lord tells Ananias, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying. And what's Saul praying about? There are lots of things, believe me. He is praying about. But in a sense, that prayer is an illustration, to uh, an appeal perhaps to God that's enabling God to connect him with Ananias God has a purpose in this, and prayer is part of how they all come together. In Acts 10, verse 2, 
talking of Cornelius. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. It's a prayerful man, and that gets God's attention to connect Cornelius and his family, his whole household, with Peter. Cornelius, in verse 4, is terrified when he sees the angel. The angel says, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. And Cornelius, at the end of uh, that whole scene, Acts chapter 10, verse 30, is telling telling Peter, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon, and then the vision happens. He's telling that to, to Peter. So there's this prayerfulness in people, gets God's attention to connect them with people who can fill in the blanks, fill in the gaps of their faith and their understanding. And there are people praying today to meet you and your group, your family group, your location, whatever your group is, and they may not know they're praying for you, but they're praying and hoping for some kind of help from God. And that's important to remember as we pray, because as we pray, we're praying to be connected with people who might already be praying to meet people like us. Isn't that amazing? My own example, I'll just share with you briefly. Many years ago, uh, before I was baptized into Christ, I, I was a person who read the Bible regularly, and I read books about the Bible, and I did pray uh, quite regularly. And one day, and I don't remember the context, but I was reading a book talking about prayer and various other things, and it referenced Isaiah 30. And I went and read Isaiah 30, and I read verses 19 to 22 in my Bible that day, which I never forgot. I can still remember actually where I was sitting when I read it. I was sitting on a bed in a, in a, student, um, a student, student accommodation uh, at university in Birmingham. I remember reading this passage from Isaiah. Let me read it for you. It says this, People of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes, you will see them. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Then you will desecrate your idols overlaid with silver and your images covered with gold. You will throw them away like a menstrual cloth and say to them, away with you. And I don't think I was thinking particularly about the, the correct hermeneutical or exegetical uh, um, examination of this passage at the time. But as I read this, it spoke to my spirit in some way. I was weeping because I felt like I believed in God, but didn't have direction to know how to live a faithful life. I was crying for help. I was hoping that he heard me and would answer. I did feel I had the bread of adversity, the water of affliction. I wanted teachers who wouldn't be hidden anymore. With my own eyes, I wanted to see these teachers. And I was going to the, trying this over here and on the left and right and different things. I needed to hear a voice behind me saying, no, 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 this is the way to live as a follower of Jesus. This is the way, walk this way. And then you'll be able to deal with your sin. And this was my life. And I prayed very specifically, God, because I was moving to a new city, to London, for a new job. God, when I move to London, please guide me to people that will be able to fulfill this verse, that will show me the way to walk as a follower of Jesus. And lo and behold, I came to church. I came to the Central London Church of Christ, as it was in those days. I met some of the chaps. We studied the Bible. And I realized, oh, that's discipleship. That's how you live like a, fo live like a follower of Jesus. That's what I need to do 
and believe and do so that I can live this life. This is how I deal with my sin. Oh. And, you know, a short time after that, I was baptized into Christ. And that was 30, uh, several, uh, many more years than 30 years ago now. I was praying and God connected us. Somebody, I'm, I'm sure of this, for all of our family groups and locations, somebody's praying to meet you. As we pray, we join together with God. As they pray, they join together with God and connecting us. The book of Acts is an amazing resource about prayer. We tend to think of perhaps the epistles or even the gospels mostly about prayer, but look in the book of Acts. Perhaps your group would like to do a little study together on uh, prayer in the book of Acts, and perhaps you'll come up with some categories I haven't noticed. Those are my six uh, for today. So why not evaluate uh, your own strengths and weaknesses uh, in these areas for your own group? Praying for wisdom and guidance. Have you got decisions and commissioning uh, to pray over? Praying for help and strength when in crisis and trouble. Is there difficulty for you and your group that you should be praying about? Praying for healing and salvation for other people. Are there needs out there that you could be praying about together? Fourthly, praying as a habit and a priority. Is it just something you love to do as a group? Regularly pray together. Fifthly, praying as a sign of community and love. How much deeper could we get in our relationships if we pray together more often? And remember that people are praying to meet you. So let me know what you think about all this. What areas of prayer focus are going on in your group like these and which ones are missing? Which ones do you think you might want to take inspiration from the book of Acts and incorporate into your habits, your culture of your local group? I'd love to know. So drop me a line. Uh, you can leave a message anywhere you hear or see this recording, or you could email me, malcolm at malcolmcox.org. And you can also check out my website with all the W's, malcolmcox.org there. That's the last of these classes. It is a bonus. Next time, the next class we're going to do like this is going to be about looking back at the year uh, just gone and towards the year ahead, doing a bit of spiritual inventory to see what God has taught you and what he might be trying to get your attention on for the year ahead. But that's next time. Thanks very much. Take care and God bless.